Thanks for tuning in to the Glenridge Church message. Our mission is to love God, love people, and live to change the world. If we can help you in any way at all, feel free to reach out to us on hello at glenridge.org.za. Thank you, Lufefe and Melindy. Thank you, Lufefe, for those words. I uh, certainly have been praying about this particular sermon from Acts 6. I'm carrying on from where Helen left off last week. And if you will, get your Bibles and turn to Acts 6. It's not going to be up on the screen, so I want you to follow along with me. If you can grab your Bibles. And there's a story from my own family. A number of years ago, I think Jonas was about nine years old, so Eden would have been eight, and the girls would have been little. Akeo wasn't born yet. And we had this house, and there was about six layers to this house. And at the top layer, um, it fed into uh, the top, the, the second story of the house, and then it would move down from there. And so we, you know, in Durban, if, you've, if you live in Durban, you'll know we can get these kind of flash rains that come all of a sudden and just this downpouring in one evening. Well, it was one of those evenings and we're all sitting at the dinner table. All of a sudden we see this trickle coming from the landing at the top of the stairs from inside the house. So this trickle starts coming over. Jonas looks up and says, dad, it's raining in the house. And it was, it had come. And what was happening is there was water coming under the door to the, from the back of the house. We went up. What I didn't realize is that the gutters were completely blocked and outside the door was a pool of water that had already built up significantly behind the door and it was seeping under the door. When I opened the door to see, I opened it, this river comes gushing through the house, sending the kids in an instant panic. It's flooding over the landing. It's now the river is flowing down the stairs into the lounge and the whole house is just is filling up with water. It's flooding. Now, what was interesting in this scenario is how all the children, everybody, Megan and myself included, kicked into immediate into gear. All of us started trying to play our role. So Jonas, he's, he, he doesn't necessarily communicate with everybody. He just actions. So he runs and he finds the buckets and he starts doing the buckets. Megan and I go outside. We start unclogging the drain so that it doesn't keep uh, going more. Eden is starting to take care of the little ones because Dea and Anya were quite little and they burst into tears. And uh, Eden's trying to help them, care for them, also trying to mobilize them. And it wasn't long before Eden kicked into her uh, leadership mode as she does and uh, starts telling everybody, okay, if you go there, if you go here. And we all started getting busy dealing with this common enemy, the flood. Nobody was fighting. Moments before, when we're at the dinner table, well, that was a different story. Moments before at the dinner table, there's bickering, there's arguing, there's complaining. When the flood hits, it's all hands on deck. It's action. And we all simultaneously, as we say in America, simultaneously start working together toward this common enemy, get out of this flood, let's get our house rescued. Now, I want you to keep that picture in mind. It is a little bit different than when we had a rat that entered into the, the, the living room at one point, and rats are my absolute worst. I 
hate rats. I'm a little bit petrified of rats. So in that scenario, it was completely different. The kids were mobilized by my, me to get the rat out of the house while I stayed on the, in the other room, looking through the door, saying, "Go grab the broom, go that way, Jonas, go that way." And he's trying to, and he corrals this rat, and Jonas and Eden kick into gear, and they're like, "Dad, why are you not doing this?" I said, "Because I can't stand rats." And they said, "We don't like rats." I said, "Not more than I don't like rats. You just go." That was a completely different scene. My heart wasn't in the space to save the children. I would rather throw the children under the bus, get the children out there, get the rats. And Dad, what about rabies? You'll survive. Just go. Get the rat out of the house, and I and I just watched from a distance, and they played their part. Now those are two different things because there was a two different hearts manifesting in those two separate scenarios. Now I want you to keep those kind of pictures in mind, and we're going to look at the gathering of believers from Acts six once again, picking up where Helen left off. We know last week she spoke about this first verse, and it says this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Remember, the Hellenists were the Grecian Jews; they were Greek Jews, and then you had the Hebraic Jews. So there were these two groups, both Jews, both having given their lives to Jesus, now following Jesus as the Messiah. Now here's where I want to start preaching from, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, "It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer." And to the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, those were Jewish priests, also became obedient to the faith. Now that is an incredible story of how they came together in a moment that could potentially have gone wrong, and that's what I want to look at today. I want to focus on three groups, and I want to pull out what I believe was an Evident in their hearts because of their responses. So the twelve, also the gathering of believers, and then you have the seven that were chosen. What do they represent? What was in their hearts that enabled them to come to a solution very quickly, and for them to move forward in what God was doing? So much so that the Lord blessed even great, better, more than He blessed than He was blessing them. It just grew. How did this happen? And that's why I've titled my sermon, The Heart That God Loves to Bless. Let's look at the first one, the 12. Now, I believe that the 12 represent a servant heart. Let's, let's read it again so that we can have it in our minds how they responded. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit 
and of wisdom. So they gave the choice of the seven to the assemblies, whom you will appoint to do this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, at first glance, you might say, wait a minute. This doesn't look like they're having a servant heart. It looks like they're passing off the mundane tasks, the difficult tasks, onto someone else. You might say they are avoiding to serve if you had uh, just read this at first glance. But there's two reasons why we often can get the wrong idea at this moment. Is One is because we don't understand the Greek words they're using here, but also because of our modern-day separation of what we often think of in terms of what's important and what's not important. It's not what they were thinking back then. Let's take a look at the first. The Greek passages, the word for serve tables... And the word for ministry of the word. So it says, these guys are going to, you're going to choose seven that will serve tables and we will do the ministry of the word. That ministry in the word serve, same word. Same word, serve. They both are serve. So these guys are going to serve tables. We're going to serve the word, carrying on doing what God has called us to do. It's not that they were trying to get out of hard work. It's that they were still working hard, considering all work is important, and all work has to have at its heart a servant heart. Now, in our fallen minds, we also think of a classification of work. So you have kind of the, the more important stuff, like preaching the word, and the less important stuff, like serving tables for God or for the widows. Um, and we separate this. Now, furthermore, in the church, we've made an even greater mistake by separating this kind of clergy and laity, or it's often called even the sacred and the secular. Have you ever heard that phrase before? The sacred and the secular divide. The, the Bible doesn't know anything of a sacred and secular divide. It's all sacred to the Lord. So writing on this subject, I have a good friend named Dave Larson who wrote this. He wrote, the Old Testament is full of how God uses people from all walks of life. From shepherds to administrators, soldiers to farmers, kings to prophets, priests to mothers. God is at work everywhere. He uses anyone who responds to him. He carries on to write, The New Testament, too, gives testimony of how God uses army officers, tent makers, theologians, fishermen, businesswomen, slaves, property owners, and others for kingdom purposes. He says there is never a distinction drawn between sacred activities and secular activities, and certainly not a hint of first or second class citizens based on what they do or how they earn their money. This is, a, this is great news. It's great news for every single one of us. It means that whatever you're doing, whatever God has called you to do, it can count for God. Because it's not in the what you do that matters. It's in how you do it. A servant heart, the heart of how you're doing, whatever you're doing, you are on track to make whatever you're doing count for God. The 12 are examples of those with servant hearts, not because they did one task over another, no, but because every task in their heart, in their minds, was important and needed to be laced with the understanding or, or, or the foundation understanding of this is for the Lord. We're serving people. So this is how we can keep our hearts pure. This is how we can be ready 
to be able to do what God has called us to do when the flood comes in and whenever we need to press forward as in the year 2020. The flood has come in. How do we all get busy doing what God has called us to do? We have to do it with servant heart. It means you got to ask yourself the question, is what I do from a place of serving, serving others, serving God, or serving myself and my own purposes? It's a challenging question, but a servant heart is the heart that God wants to bless. Here's the second thing that we see in verse 5. After they've been given the task, the whole assembly has been given the task for them to choose the seven that would oversee this important work. It says in verse 5, And what the apostles said pleased the whole gathering. When I read that, I was like, wait a minute. Are you serious? Like over 3,000 people were pleased at one time about this decision. I mean, if you've been in church leadership in any kind of level or any kind of place, any kind of stint of time, you would know that this is quite an incredible feat to have everyone, the whole family, agreeing at once. I looked and I said, wait, what? Are you serious? How? How could they all agree at once? The apostles told them to choose. Now, from my point of view, if I were there, this would be the few questions that I would ask from just based on the experience that I've had of human nature and within the church even. I would be saying, well, do the apostles actually know what they're doing? I mean, this is, this is craziness. Think about it. There's over 3,000 people, and these 3,000 are given the task of choosing the seven. I would say to myself, I would say, now this is a very contentious issue. I mean, you've got two people groups. This could go seriously wrong. This could split the church right at its inception. I think that 12, guys, take control of this thing. I mean, come on, you can control. At least you choose the seven that you should appoint. You choose the seven, you can keep control. If you let people, I mean, if you let control go, I mean, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? This is craziness. I would be saying, shouldn't. We consider, are the people actually qualified? I mean, these are sheep, come on. Are they actually qualified to do this? Won't they simply choose men from their own factions? Won't there be an even greater fight now, a greater coming together saying, no, 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 we want the Hellenist Hellenist leader. No, we want the Hebraic leader. We want the Grecian. No, we want the Hebraic. Surely they would peak pick people that were on their side that would fight for their own personal agenda, their own cause. Could the Hellenist Jews trust the Jews as well? Well, I would have been a little bit worried. But it seems that the 3,000 were like, this is a great idea. And the 3,000 were able to choose well. How did they come to an agreement? How did they make it through? What does it say about the posture of their hearts? Well, understanding the context in which they live makes all the difference here. We have to understand their hearts were a place were already at a place of humility to be able to do this. Why? Well, first of all, there was no real motive, no reason to fight for their own agenda, as we would consider. They were not, you see, playing Christianity. They weren't playing Christianity. They weren't all there because there was a great idea or this was the kind of the best religion that they kind of made all their options and decided it was an intellectual decision to move forward. And no, 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 no. They had already given up everything. 
In fact, all, everybody that raised their hand to say, I'm in, knew that this could cost their lives. This was serious commitment. They were like, this is serious. We are in. They had already, in other words, died to themselves. That is absolutely key to have a humble heart is to already die to yours. Remember in, in Acts 2, 42, we saw that they were already selling their possessions and giving what they had to the poor and to, the, to, to everybody. They were sharing what they had. They had already died. In other words, the reason, the motive to fight each other was gone because they had already died to themselves. So it make, makes me ask a question of my own heart. Is the reason that I sometimes am quick to fight my brothers and sisters is because I haven't yet died to myself. Is that actually the reason? Because my motive is to try and protect myself, to try and champion my rights, my thoughts, my opinions. Then you see that the motive was gone. The time was gone. They had no time to, to be fighting one another. So these were, these were serious times. Just one chapter before, you see the 12 apostles are in prison and they get prayed out. The very next chapter, you're about to see that Stephen is stoned to death. And then in chapter eight, all of them are persecuted where all 3,000 scatter across Judea and Samaria. So they are scattered. Persecution is coming. These are serious times. They're in a war. They're in a flood. They are busy pushing forward to try and get the gospel to spread in the midst of serious opposition. They were busy fighting the devil, too busy to fight one another. And this is what happens. When we have time to fight one another, it means that we have not gotten busy fighting the real enemy. So I ask myself the question at this junction, am I quick to fight with my brothers and sisters because I am not busy fighting the real enemy? And then there's no opportunity. So we saw in chapter four, again, all the believers, it says, were of one heart and mind. It said this, watch this. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. They had no opportunity to fight each other because they were too busy caring for one another. I need some help. I want to do an illustration. Come, Lufefe, come help me here. Um, now, Lufefe is... You're, I would, I can safely say you're the bigger of the two of us. Um, and so uh, I think, I think I'm going to have to, you're going to have to be the guy that helps me. So I'm going to get on Lufefe's back. <laughs> I think that's going to work better than if you got on my back. Okay. <laughs> so, so let, let's just keep safety, safety protocols at, at, a, at a higher. So I'm going to, I'm going to get on Lufefe's back. Now watch this. Okay. Can you hold, you're going to catch me, hold me. Don't drop me. Yeah, yeah. Come on. This is actually live. So. <laughs> So my whole reputation is in your hands right at this point. In fact, actually, as soon as I jump on your back, even if you don't let me go, I, I think I've probably messed my re reputation up anyway. So, so actually, don't worry. But here we go. You ready? Oh, there we go. Wow. Okay, so I'm on Lufefe's back. He's caring for me. Now, don't walk. Don't walk. You're going to scare me. Just stay right there. Stay still. Okay, but what I want you to do now is I want you to try, I want you to try and punch me. Like with your fists. I'd have to let you go. No. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Ah. <laughs> All right. Now you probably could do. You got long arms. But my point is, okay. Let me down. Let me down. <laughs> Thank you, Lufefe. Can we give Lufefe a hand, everybody? <laughs> okay. So, 
The point of that little silly illustration is to show you that it's hard to punch your brother on your back. And this is the point when you are caring for one another, when you are pulling each other through, it's the opportunity to fight actually starts to to get less and less because you're focused, you're actually caring. So not only were, were they in their hearts ready, they had already died to themselves, so humility could come in. Not only that, but there was no time because they're busy fighting the enemy and they're busy caring one another. And all that fight, that's why through their humble heart, they can arrive at this decision so quickly. It's why they could choose. Now imagine when a community of believers has that kind of culture, when we have that kind of culture, imagine what we can do. It means when we have that kind of culture that the leaders are able to trust the community with big decisions. And that's, that's what we need. The, the, the community can decide how many decisions the leaders can trust us with when we have that kind of culture. It means when we have that kind of con- culture that the community of believers can make good decisions quickly without arguing. And that's the kind of church God wants to make us because we're, we're in a battle. We are pushing forward. There's an enemy. We've got to be moving forward. It means when the community has that kind of culture that people are happy to help. So let's look at these seven that were chosen that were happy to help. Now, I believe these seven demonstrate. So we've seen a servant heart by the 12. We've seen a humble heart from the community. I believe they demonstrate a faith-filled heart. It says here in our next verse, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Now, the reason I read that list of names again is because if you study those names, you'll see that they're all Greek names. They're all Grecian Jews from one of the groups. That is fascinating to me. It means that the whole assembly did not come together and say, look, let's get politically correct about this. Maybe what we could do is have four Grecian Jews and then three Hebraic Jews so that we can have a great representation in this group so that we're not making sure that we're all fighting for our group rights. They didn't decide that way. Neither did they decide based on a skill set or even personality or even experience. I mean, how could they? After all, they had only been together for a few months. It's not like, hey, these guys are great at, at serving in this capacity. Let's put them in that leadership position. What they had to base it on was exactly what the apostles said, choose men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. This is why, because they knew what Samuel had said, God had told Samuel, do you remember? He says, people look at the outward appearances. God looks at the heart. And they knew that. God looks at the heart, probably because the apostles were faithful not to give up preaching the word, but kept preaching the word, praise the Lord, that they did that. So the people understand, we got to look at the heart. The apostles say, look at the heart. Where's the heart? Are they full of the spirit? So how were they able to spot these 3,000 new converts? 
To me, I, I mean, these seven out of 3,000 new converts. I mean, to me, that's like the Where's Wally, or I think in America it's called Where's Waldo. That's what we grew up hearing. Where's Wally? And a little guy in the middle of this huge picture of about 3,000. You're like, where? how do we find this? Well, the reason is because someone full of the Holy Spirit looks like something. There's evidence of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about shaking, although that, that is sometimes evidence or speaking in tongues. No, I'm actually talking about the evidence in their attitude, in their actions, in their effectiveness. When someone's filled with the Holy Spirit, attitude, actions, effectiveness is what gets transformed. And then often, we also we see that the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, that comes, the gifts of the Spirit of leadership and wisdom. It looks like something. And these men stood out because it looked like that. We also see a clue in Stephen's description where it says he was a man full of faith. Bible commentator Bob Utley is one of my favorites. He says this, faith, full of faith. The term faith came from an Old Testament word, emeth. Now that originally meant a person whose feet were in a stable stance. So that word means faith. In the Old Testament, stable stance. And then it came to be used metaphorically for someone who was trustworthy, faithful, dependable, and loyal. In the New Testament, he says, this term is used for the believer's response to God's promise through Christ. In other words, in the New Testament, we trust, we have a stable stance on God's trustworthiness. We faith his faithfulness. Stephen trusted in God's trustworthiness, therefore he was characterized by God's character. Come, Lufepe, let's do something else. Can you come back up? Uh, let's just think about this stance for a moment. So, Lufepe, I want you to just stand with your legs together. Just put, put your legs together. Actually, why don't you come this way, face me a little bit there. Here we go. So now you're facing me. So this is not a stable stance. You would agree. So I'm going to push the paper. Even put your hands up. I mean, let's just, not like you're going to, you know, box me or something. Don't box me, please. But, <laughs> but let's say, you know, in a stable stance. But still, I've got an advantage over him because he's not in a stable stance. Now give me a stable stance. All right. There's a, there's a good stable stance there. Okay. Now put your fist, hand, fist up. So watch. Okay. Now we're, now we're struggling here to, to actually get him over. That's a difference between a stable stance and an unstable stance. Thank you. This this. Just don't do that. I don't, don't want you to hurt me again. Okay. <laughs> so there's a few things that come from a stable stance. There's a few things when we're on the trustworthiness. There's a readiness that comes. When you're a stable, on a stable stance of the trustworthiness of Christ, there is a readiness that comes. You are able to stand. Now you're ready. It's like you're prepared. You're not standing oblivious. What's happening? Oh, wow. I just got knocked over by the flood. Just got knocked over by the enemy. No, you're standing. You know, whenever you get knocked over, whenever you find yourself easily knocked over, it's most likely because you weren't in a stable stance, ready, prepared, expecting it. Which means it's, it's like in the very next chapter, Stephen is stoned to death. And this is what he says in his last words. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and do not hold this sin against them. The reason Stephen was able to say, do not hold this sin against them, doesn't it sound familiar? Didn't Jesus say that on the cross? Well, the reason he was able to say that is because he was expecting that I'm gonna get persecution. They're gonna fight me. He didn't hate his enemy. He didn't even, it didn't even come as a surprise. You know, an unstable stance is normally where we are and we say, oh God, why is this happening to me? Why are they throwing stones? 
Why are they hurting me? How could you do this to me? Why me? That's an unstable stance. God, are you even good? You don't even, oh, and we, we moan. That's our, that's our unstable stance. But Stephen, because he was here, he was ready on the trustworthiness of God. It doesn't take him by surprise. When you're in a ready stance, when the enemy comes, you're like, oh no, I knew you were coming. I was ready. I knew you were coming. And instead of blaming God, we blame the enemy because God is with us. We're standing on the rock. He is with us. He's with us in the fight. He's on our side with the, against the enemy. He's not over there, the enemy hurting us. That's ridiculous. No, no, no. He is on our side. We're standing on him saying, okay, God, you and I, we're going to have to go together. And I'm going to, in fact, what's even better picture is really God is in front of us and we're on a stable stance behind him. That's really the best picture, but we're ready. But also it gives you an opportunity to dodge, doesn't it? It actually gives you an opportunity to protect when you're in a stable stance. You can dodge. When you're like this, you're like, wah, wah. You see, whenever you're like this, remember I pushed Lufefe over just now. So whenever I push him, he was able to not only stand against it, but if I were coming at him, he'd be able to move. He'd be able to get out of the way. He can even duck. Some of us need to duck because the enemy is coming with punches. He comes with a punch of a lie. He says, oh, God is not good. Why? And you're just like, oh, no, he is. Yeah, he is. Oh, yeah? No, God is good. He's trustworthy. I'm standing on him. Whoa. And the lie doesn't hit you. He likes to cheat you as well. He'll cheat you. He'll say, you know what? You're in a midlife crisis. You know what you need? You need an extramarital affair. He says, that's going to help you with your ego and your identity. And you're going to be like, oh, nope, my identity already secure. Got it? Nope. Yes. Dodge it. He, he cheats. He lies. He cheats. He steals. You're going to say, oh, no, I'm going to give this promotion to somebody else at your work. And you're going to be like, no, that's okay. God's got something better. <laughs> See, you're in a stable stance. You can dodge the enemy's punches when he comes. You can also pivot because it gives you power, not just readiness, not just being able to protect yourself here, but the power to fight back. The power, see right here, I'm able to come and I bring my hip and I bring my shoulder into it and I bring my arm and my fist and it all comes and I'm able to go, I got you. Oh, come on, man. I'm going to kung fu this thing too in just a moment because I can pivot now. And it is right into the, into the camera. I, I am asking to hurt myself today. <laughs> but I'm able to fight to counter punch because I'm ready in this stance. What's the stance? It's a stable stance on the trustworthiness of God. And let me tell you something. You don't just need this for you. It's not just so that you can fight back and win the enemy in your life. We are called to fight for us. It's so that you can fight for those that are you're protecting your family. It's so that you can fight for those in the community that are struggling. You can fight in prayer and say, no more, G no more devil. Come on, Jesus. No more devil. You're able to fight in intercession and say, no, we are together. We are going to defeat this flood. Everybody play in their position. We are going to defeat this enemy, all of us moving forward. And I am ready to dodge the enemy and to fight on behalf of my brothers and sisters and for the kingdom of God to move forward. What's so amazing when you come back to these seven men is that these seven men were the ones who actually took the gospel beyond the four walls of the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't the 12. It was these men. It was Stephen that went and was stoned to death. It was Philip that preached to the eunuch on the road. These were the men that broke the walls. They were the ones because they were filled with faith and probably because they were faithful in the job that they were given. God said, now I'm going to give you much more. And they broke the barriers and they took the gospel to the Greeks. Unbelievable to the, to the Gentiles. 
unbelievable. That's what God wants to do. How is your stance right now? It's got to be on the trustworthiness of God. You need to be in that place where you're ready. And it comes whenever you have a servant heart, when you have a humble heart, and whenever you have a faith-filled heart. So it's not surprising that this little section ends with this verse. And the word of God continued to increase. Of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. It's what he wants for us as well. And a great many of priests came, became obedient to the faith. I trust that as God allows, and you allow God to shape your heart, to have a servant heart, to have a humble heart, and a faith-filled heart, ready, willing, that God's going to do this with all of us. Amen.